Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church. And we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. Morning. We are going to, well, I say we. I am going to do my best to stay awake today. Uh, coming off of camp, I'm always exhausted. Uh, but we will do our best uh, to dig deeply and drink deeply from God's Word this morning. I did want to say, before I get jumped, uh, j- jump headfirst into the lesson today, uh, we have the gospel meeting next weekend with Ben Hall. Uh, he is excited, and I hope that we are excited to have him here. It's a little different than what we've done in the past, being that we'll be together uh, pretty much all day Saturday, and then he will uh, be speaking with us Sunday morning also. Uh, there is a get-together at our house on Saturday in between the morning lessons and the afternoon lesson. And uh, Barry asked me for clarification this morning because I kind of had a little bit of a confusing statement in the bulletin. Um, It it is for everybody to come. Uh, We will park as many people as we can and squeeze cars in wherever we can all over the yard. Uh, But we we want everybody to come to bring uh, bring something to share and we'll try to have stuff there. My wife and I haven't even talked about that side of it yet. So... Maybe an email will come out about that later in the week, but uh, we we do want uh, want everybody to come. But the confusing statement was about the teen get together. Uh, it is also going to be our teen get together for the month. So uh, we especially want the teens to come, and I'll try to have at least a couple of different things for the teens to do together. Uh, I've kind of spread the word a little bit out in the uh, camp community, so hopefully we'll even have. Uh, teens and other families come and hear God's word preached by Ben, and uh, we'll get to spend some time fellowshipping with with one another. So uh, make sure that you are able to come to that. That being said, let's jump into the lesson. Um, We are continuing on on our year-long series about what it means to be continually devoted to one another based off of Acts chapter 2 verse 42, where it says they were continually devoting themselves to four different things, the apostles' doctrine, to the fellowship, and those two we've, we've discussed already. Apostles' doctrine we spent about three months on, and fellowship we did. We are moving into the third topic, which is the breaking of bread, and then we will soon be talking about what it means and how to grow deeper in our prayer. And so we're going to spend, kind of introduce today, the topic of breaking bread and how the Bible uses that phrase and what that phrase means more from a historical perspective today. And then we will move into some other ideas about it and how we can develop those things even in our modern day practice. Uh, So we're going to look at it more from a historical perspective today and maybe that will help us uh, as we move forward. Uh, the the expression we we tend to probably not understand the expression as it was intended. It is merely an idiom, uh, and it's a very easy to understand idiom. If I have a loaf of bread, if I break it in half and I hand half to you, that's the concept of breaking bread. It was the idea of the sharing of food, and so we tend to think of it primarily in a 
a Eucharistic or a, a, a communion standpoint where we have a, a small little, little bread patty in there. I don't nearly know what the best description of that is. And then uh, anybody who has ever passed out the Lord's Supper realizes how literally the breaking taken, especially before we started doing these individual pieces. I remember this one lady, uh, Evelyn, uh, she, she was the sweetest little older lady, and we would pass it, and she would break a piece off, and then she would take her fingernails to break off a little tiny crumb off of the piece she had already broken off because she wanted the smallest possible piece ever. I, I don't understand. That, that that, that's kind of the practice that we've gone through through the years. That's not the same image you need to have in your head, though. When the Bible talks about breaking bread, it's talking about it in a sharing standpoint, not in a breaking off a small, tiny piece of a, of a communal uh, loaf that we pass around. And so it is used, uh, it, it's just a, a common idiom that's used in a lot of different ways. And it doesn't, it's not hard to see that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2, uh, which is where our, our main a themed passage comes from. In Acts chapter 2, in describing of the early church, it says there in verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That idea of being able to break bread in their homes day by day or daily, that has confused a lot of people over the years. Because back up in verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And we would assume, not necessarily correctly, that that is a reference to the, the communion, the, the Lord's Supper that we celebrate each week. You have over in Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, Paul has come into town and he has waited around because, verse 7, on the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke with them or spoke to them and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. And so there you have this expression, breaking bread, to be the breaking of bread that happened on the first day of the week during the assembly. Well, that very clearly is a reference to the Lord's Supper that we celebrate on a weekly basis. But back in chapter 2, verse 46, they did that day by day. And so a lot of people have tried to argue over the years that there really isn't a, a, a mandate or an understanding that we should be taking the Lord's Supper on Sunday because they did it on a daily basis back in Acts chapter 2. Unless the phrase is not uniquely meant to speak of the Lord's Supper, but was a common idiom, which is what I'm going to argue today. The breaking of bread was not an exclusive term for the Lord's Supper. It was a common term for sharing food. And so when they shared food and fellowship, they did that day by day, taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. And when they shared their food in the Lord's Supper, they gathered together on the first day of the week to do so. 
And there's a difference between the way these two terms are used. Now, I'm not sure how well you can read this, but you've got sometimes in the New Testament where the breaking of bread phrase is used to refer to a common meal. For instance, back in Matthew 14, Matthew 15, Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 8, with the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. And it says that he broke bread and blessed it. Well, that's clearly referring to some sort of common meal. That was not in memory of the Lord's death because the Lord was the one doing it on those cases. It was a miracle he performed. You've got him eating with the disciples, uh, those disciples from Emmaus, that he traveled back on the road with them to their home in Luke chapter 24. And it says he sat down with them and he broke bread. Now that's even on the first day of the week. That was the day of his resurrection. But I've never heard anyone argue that even though it uses the phrase, he broke the bread and gave thanks, that that was referring to the Lord's Supper. But he broke bread on those occasions. You've got Jesus at his last supper in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter 22, where he is taking a meal and he is using it in order to teach what needs to be taught about his death, burial, and resurrection. And then you've got this Acts 2.42, which really doesn't give us any context at all as to what it's talking about. Were they continually devoted to a common meal that they shared together, or were they continually devoted to the Lord's Supper? Well, we'll discuss that more before we're done this morning. Day by day in houses in Acts 2.46, Paul and Troas in Acts 20, verse 7. We just looked at those. Uh, Acts chapter 27, it talked about Paul uh, after the shipwreck, that they broke bread when they got to the island, when they had gotten to safety. And I, I, he's there with a lot of unbelievers. And I, I can see no reason why we would understand that as speaking of the Lord's Supper. But then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you have instructions about Jesus' the supper, the, the supper that celebrates his death. And it's referred to as bro- breaking bread. It's interesting how this idiom is used Almost 50-50, isn't it? Half of the references are to a common meal. Half of the references are to a memorial meal that we celebrate on a weekly basis. Well, so the Bible doesn't really make it clear as to which one we're supposed to be devoted to. And interestingly, we've already talked about being devoted to the apostles' teaching, and we've talked about being devoted to fellowship. Well, is this breaking of bread go more with the teaching, the spiritual activity that we're involved in, or does it go more with fellowship, which is more of the social or the the partnership concept, the spending life together concept? Is it supposed to be spiritual or is it supposed to be common? Well, I kind of wonder often that when the Bible is vague, if it's not intentionally vague because it's trying to emphasize both. It's trying to teach us that both are important and that both are part of what we're supposed to do. Well, that takes me to the book of Jude. If you'll turn over to Jude... Jude 12, 
says this. These people are dangerous reefs at your love feast as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who look only after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by wind, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. Well, there's a statement here that refers to something called love feast. I don't know how many of you ever studied love feast before. Kind of an odd concept. The Greek here is just a pluralized form of the word agape, or as we commonly say it, agape. And we know agape. We know that word, right? It, it means love. Well, what it says here literally is, these people are dangerous reefs at your loves. And the best guess they have as to what that's in reference to, it's, it's in reference to a, a meal that they shared together. It was something that they did together as a part of their practice, as a part of what they were supposed to be doing. If you look over in 2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, says they, have, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. There are several references in Scripture of feast that the saints participated in that were considered to be exclusive feast. Did you notice both Jude and 2 Peter make reference to there are people who don't belong in these meals. There are people who cannot participate with you when you feast together. Well, what are these feasts? What does it mean to come together to feast? Well, some connect these agapes to the idea of communion, that this love feast or this agape is a reference, it was a, a word they used that to, special, you know, to show that this meal was a special meal. Other people have, try, have tried to argue that, no, it's just talking about some sort of fellowship meal where they've gathered together to eat together. What I'm going to argue is that the reason the Bible is vague about this is that they might have been one and the same thing. If you go back and look at early Christian writings, you've got several references to this. Uh, Clement of Alexandria, an earlier Christian, said, Some, speaking with unbridled tongue, dare to apply the name agape to pitiful suppers, redolent of savors and sauces. The supper is made for love, but the supper is not love. He had a real problem with these gatherings, these feastings being called agapes. He thought they were misnamed and they should not have be called that. Tertullian, an early, another early Christian, says, you Romans attack also our humble feast 
on the ground that they are extravagant as well as infamously wicked. You make it seem that the sayings of Diogenes applies to us, the people of Megara, feast as though they were going to die tomorrow, end quote. Yet you make a great ado only about the modest supper room of the Christians. Our feast explains itself by its name. The Greeks call it agape, for example, love. Whatever the meal cost, our outlay, uh, our outlay in the name of piety is gain. For we aid the needy with the good things of the feast. Before reclining, the participant first taste of prayer to God. Only as much as eaten as satisfies the cravings of hunger. Only as much as drunk as befits the chaste. The participants talk as those who know the Lord is one of their hearers. After washing the hands and the bringing in of lights, each is asked to stand forth and sing as he can a hymn to God either one from the Holy Scriptures or one of his own composing. This is proof of the temperate measure of our drinking. Just as the feast begins with prayer, so it is closed with prayer. We depart from the feast not like troops of mischief-doers, but as ones who have had much care for our modesty and chastity, as though we had been at a school of virtue rather than at a banquet." His description is of a feast they partook in together that did not create merrymaking or carousing. It did not create drunkenness. It did not create a bunch of foolish people going out as if they had been at a party. But it created a focus and reverence on Christ. That's the description you have. And it is in keeping with what Jesus himself taught the disciples to do. If you remember back at the institution of the Lord's Supper, we've got an account in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of Jesus breaking bread, to use that idiom, with his disciples. And what he did was he took the Passover meal and he made a small portion of the Passover meal have new significance. And this is a lot of information on the screen. Uh, I'll explain it, okay? On the left side of your screen, you have a step-by-step account of the way Jews celebrate still, but celebrated even then, their Passover. And I could go through long descriptions. That could be a sermon in and of itself to understand better the way the Passover was celebrated. Uh, It had a long series of events, and it involved certain things you would eat at certain moments and certain readings you would read at certain moments and certain activities you would engage in at certain moments. It began with a prayer to sanctify the day. Everybody would wash their hands, which is really more of a dipping of the fingertips, uh, not really a a sanitary cleansing, but a spiritual one. They would partake of the carpus, which is the, the green vegetables that are on the, that's on the cedar plate. Uh, they would uh, break the matzah or the, the unleavened bread. They would tell the story of the Passover and, and God delivering them from Egypt. They would have another hand washing that was, that was for it with a blessing over the meal. Uh, they would bless before they ate the matzah. They would eat the bread. Then they'd eat the bitter herb. They would have Hillel's sandwich, which is, uh, is, is some um, herb and stuff between bread that they would put together. 
they would eat the meal, then they would eat the afikamen. The afikamen was three loaves of bread. They would take the middle loaf out of the stack of bread, and they would go hide it in the house earlier in the meal. And then they would go kind of have a, uh, a scavenger hunt with the kids, and the kids would go find the unleavened bread. Whoever found it got to come back and break the bread in front of the whole family, and then they would share that thinner piece of the bread. And then they would have a, another blessing, and then a song, and then they would close. Now, a lot of that you don't have described in your Bible. A lot of that. A lot of that is tradition, but it is still the, the practice that they engaged in uh, as a part of eating this meal. Some of it you do, though. If you remember back to the way that Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper as a part of the Passover meal, you will find that, that Lord's Supper at the end of this meal. You notice there near the bottom, the eating of the afikamen, that part of the bread. And then right after that, you have barek, which was the sharing of a cup uh, of, of wine. And then you have the singing songs of praise. That's exactly the way the Lord's Supper is described for us in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke actually adds another cup before the breaking of the bread, if you've, if you've ever noticed that before, because it was one of the earlier cups in the meal. The cup that would have been, that Jesus used to signify his blood was actually the cup that represented redemption. They had four cups that they had, the cup during Kadesh, during Megid, during Barak, and during Hallel, the praise. And they, they represented the four promises that God gave them in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Those four promises are, I will bring you out, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, and then I will take you to myself. Well, the cup that Jesus used to signify his blood after the breaking of the bread was the cup that meant redemption. Isn't that appropriate? Isn't that what the cup is actually about? To remember the blood that he spilt in order to redeem us? That idea of the Passover meal, the, the Lord's Supper was a piece of a whole meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. And so they took a small portion of it to remember that Jesus took a small portion of it to give them a remembrance of what he was and what they were supposed to do in remembering him. Before you make the wrong assumption, though, I'm not arguing we do that same thing. One of the things we're going to talk about as we go through this series of lessons is that that process through history has been greatly, greatly abused. And what you have in Scripture is a, a really a focusing on what really matters. Notice, Jesus did not command us to celebrate the Passover with a few changes. What he asked us to do was take this portion of the Passover that applies to you and me as a part of the new covenant and remember that. Remember that.
peace. The Ephekamen, which represented the, the middle of the Godhead, that you had these three pieces of the bread, and, and while you've got, and a lot of people have made this parallel, that if there is God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you've got these three loaves of bread stacked on top of each other, and we take the middle one out, and we take it away from the Father and the Spirit, and we hide it somewhere in the house on earth, and then we find that, and we come, and we break it for our benefit, that is representative of what Jesus has done. And so Jesus takes that symbolism and applies it to himself so that we can understand. And then the cup that came right after that, which represented God's redemption of man, he says, you are redeemed by my blood because this cup is my blood. Do you see how this works? We're not told to eat green herbs. We're not told to roast a lamb shank or back in those days to roast a lamb and eat that as a part of our meal. We are told, take the pieces that represent Jesus and make them ours. And so we gather together and remember that portion of the meal because that portion of the meal is what makes all the difference for us. Is that the love feast? I don't know. But I want to share with you what I do know. The early Christians clearly ate together. They ate together often. Acts chapter 2 makes that abundantly clear. They were breaking bread together with gladness and sincerity of heart day by day. They were together eating. It was something they did because it was something that represented who they were and what they were supposed to be doing. And I'll also say that these meals they were participating in were meals that were exclusive to their community. And I don't mean community as in neighbors and strangers and all of that. I mean their church community, their spiritual community. When there were those who were causing trouble, when there were those who did not belong, they were excluded from these meals. That may, that's clear in Jude 12 and 2 Peter chapter 2. So there's something about the meals where they broke bread together that was exclusive to them. You had to belong to be a part of these feasts. And you also find that these feasts were in many, uh, in, on some occasions, being abused. Turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Excuse me, chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul condemns the Christians here. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, this is verse 17, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. And the fact that there were divisions among them was not good. But notice what Paul says in this next verse. 
Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Do you see what Paul's saying there? When you gather together to take this supper, when you gather together to remember and memorialize your Savior, when you gather together to break bread, that's the context here, it is necessary that there be a division among you that separates those who are approved and those who are not. Do you see that? Some are approved and some aren't. There has to be a separation there. That's what Paul's teaching here. Reading on, it says, when you come together then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Do you, or don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Now, if this is exclusively talking about the Lord's Supper, he just told them to take the Lord's Supper at home. I don't think we agree with that. Because we know we come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. In response to the problems that were happening in this church, what he said is, when the, in, the, in the portion of this meal that you were eating, that is not memorializing the Lord, that you are abusing and coming together and eating until you are stuffed and drinking until you are drunk, you can no longer do that. Do that at home. Why? We'll keep reading. He says down in verse 27, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. The reason they were to keep this separated was because they had abused the meal and were neglecting the supper. And Paul is saying the supper is what mattered. You are using this as an opportunity to serve yourself when in reality this should be an opportunity to serve and focus on the Lord. That's what the meal was about. The meal was about coming together to celebrate the Lord. And so he tells them a little bit later on, down in verse 33, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, you should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give you instructions about other matters whenever I come. What we know is that while in this case there were abuses of the meal they were taking, so Paul said, just do away with the meal for the focus that, that is gained on the supper, on the Lord's supper. Is the meal necessary not like the supper is understand that 
The early Christian seemed to have had a pattern of breaking bread together. They would come together on a Sunday, they would eat a meal together, and then they would take a portion of that meal and they would make it signify or represent the Lord. And Paul, whenever a problem came up, said, you know what, do away with the meal so that you can focus on the supper. Because the meal was not what mattered. The supper is. So I don't think there's anything wrong with the way that we have, through the years, decided that what we would do is come together to focus on the supper. Because that's what Paul tells us is of greater importance and that we should be focusing on. They came together to focus on the Lord. And so should we. So a couple of practical applications this morning. One is this. I do think we should learn in the way that we look at this from a historical perspective that we need to start giving Jesus' memorial the attention that it really deserves. I have been in too many congregations that squeeze it in. Oh, we get so upset if the guy who's given the talk before the Lord's Supper speaks too long because that's going to make us get out late. Really? But can we speak too long about the Lord? Can we spend too much time dwelling on what He has done for us? Because I have a hard time making that argument biblically. Now, I can make that argument all day long selfishly. But I can't make that argument biblically. We need to quit trying to make the Lord's Supper so efficient so that we can get it done and we can get out of here. No. We need to give Jesus the attention He deserves. We need to make it our focus. We need to make sure that we are more focused on giving Him what the, the honor and the praise He deserves, not squeezing Him in because we've got four other parts of worship to make sure we focus on too. Now, let's, let's start focusing on Jesus the way we should. We need to let our focus on Jesus become the center of what we do. And, and, and let me be clear about this. I don't just mean in worship. I also mean in fellowship. The focusing on Jesus is what really matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the early part of the chapter makes a big deal about and I've delivered to you of first importance that Jesus died, He was buried, and He rose again. Of what importance? First importance. The priority of all we do and believe is on Jesus' death his burial, and his resurrection. And that should be true of our worship, and that should be true of our community, and that should be true of our everyday lives, and that should be true of our interactions with each other, and that should be true of our interactions with the lost. We should be more concerned about Jesus' sacrifice than we are about whether Alabama wins the next game. We should be more concerned about Jesus and them knowing Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus than we are about work or weather. Because Jesus should be the focus of all of that. 
First, or Acts chapter 20, verse 7, people have made a big deal about the way it's worded there that on the first day of the week they came together to break bread. And Oh, well, then that was their single purpose in coming together. I don't know that I will go that far based on the grammar or the word choice. I will go that far based on the context and the story. Paul arrived a week before he met with them, and he waited. Even though he was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem, he waited there so that he could meet with the saints and break bread with them. It was worth, it was worth Paul putting his entire trip on hold so that he could break bread with those saints. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we give it that much importance? Shouldn't it be a focus of what we do? You find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17, it's the center uh, of, of, of our fellowship. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the sharing of the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, since we all share the one bread. This supper that we we come together and we, we, we remember Jesus, the breaking of bread that we participate in. It is what we do to fellowship. He's the reason for our salvation and hope. He's the reason for every good thing in our lives. Shouldn't we spend a little more time thinking about that? You know, it's... It's great to hear a good sermon on occasion. And I tell you, I love singing. There's a singing in Gardendale tonight that will be, uh, it'll blow your ears out. It will be so loud in that room, and I encourage every one of us to go. I, I love praying. I love the fact that I can open my heart up and God hears every word of it. I love that we can gather together and we can take up money and pile our money together so that we can accomplish things in God's kingdom. But all of those things are possible because Jesus gave us hope. All of those things are possible because of what we remember in this supper. Shouldn't we give Jesus the time he deserves? I think we need to start having love feasts. I don't know that we necessarily need to call it that because it's kind of a strange word. But I think we need to start having a, a focus on getting together and eating together and spending our time as a family, as a community, breaking bread together. And I'm not arguing for fellowship halls, and I'm not arguing that we, we open up one of these classrooms and put tables in it and any of that kind of stuff. I'm, we can do that anywhere. We can do that at any time. They did it day by day. We should certainly be able to do it month by month. Wouldn't you think so? Shouldn't we be together loving our Lord together, honoring our God with, gener with, with thanksgiving and gratitude together, shouldn't we be participating in love feasts? 
And I think we need to start making our devotion to God a part of our daily lives. You know, one of the reasons I, I think there is such a ambiguity to the term breaking of bread is because they didn't just remember the Lord and the breaking of bread and a, and a little cup of juice. Now, they did especially at those moments because those were, that was a, an opportunity to come together and memorialize Jesus as he commanded us to do. But I think they memorialized Jesus, not with an official Lord's Supper, but just in their conversation and in the way that they spent their time together. They loved to talk about their Savior. And I think that needs to become more of our daily lives. Where we gather often to take and break bread with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and finding favor with all men. Do you see all the things they did in that gathering together day by day? We should be doing those things day by day. Because he is an awesome God that deserves all the praise that we can give him. We're going to spend a lot of time over the next several weeks, really three months, talking about this, this meal. And I'm going to focus more on this meal than I am the love feast. I'm going to focus more on what we do to memorialize Jesus, the bread and the wine, and understanding this better, and how can we think through this deeper, and how can we have a greater appreciation, and how can we spend more time doing it. I'm never going to talk about how we can be more efficient and get it done quicker. But we will talk about how we can do it with greater, greater thanksgiving, and greater understanding, and greater depth. Because I tell you, this, this is what every day is about. If you belong to Jesus and you have benefited from his sacrifice, this should be your first thought in the morning and your last thought in the evening. And if you've not given your life to Jesus and had your sins washed away in baptism, it is coming to understand what we remember week after week and hopefully day after day. That that is what will make the difference in your life. And I encourage you, if you're not, let Him be your Lord. Understand He deserves to be your Lord. And we want Him to be your Lord. And if we can help you, if we can teach you something, if we can baptize you into Christ, we want to do so. If you need our help, if we can help you uh, with understanding or, or by taking that step, please come forward as we stand and sing this song. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast, 
or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.